Israel bonds. Pennsylvania Treasurer Stacy Garrity, a Republican, said state treasurers of both parties have invested in Israel bonds for more than 30 years. For WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. Good afternoon. I'm Parisa Noruzzi, and this is Taking Action on WPFW 89.3 FM. We come to you every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, bringing the information and inspiration that you need to take action in our city, to save our schools and communities, stand up for justice, build our power, and hold government officials accountable. Taking Action is produced by the grassroots organization Empower DC. We welcome your feedback and your show ideas. You can call Empower DC at 202-234-9119. And before I introduce my guest, I want to thank all of the listeners who've been contributing to the winter uh, pledge drive, keeping this important station on the air, 47 years and counting. Uh, We need WPFW. It's an important institution that lifts up the voices of DC residents on critical issues, keeps uh, keeps our culture moving with... um, wonderful music programming, and we hope that you will continue to support this station and and, uh, keep WPFW going 47 more years. Uh, Consider becoming a sustaining donor. You could give as little as $10 a month or or more, anything that you can do. You can uh, donate via Cash App, dollar sign WPFW. You can go online to WPFWFM.org, or you can call in uh, to talk to somebody here at the station as well. Thank you so much to the listeners, but let me ask you uh, to really listen up and um, pay attention for this hour because I'm speaking with one of the uh, people who I respect highly here in the city who has dedicated his life to serving his community, his city. You might know him from Peaceaholics. You might know him from Check It Inter- Enterprises or Don't Mute DC or the Go-Go Museum or most recently the campaign to stop the move. I consider him one of the hardest working people in D.C. It was uh, uh, hard for me to catch up with him to do this interview. I, I seriously don't think he sleeps. Um, he is the one and only D.C. activist, peacemaker, entrepreneur and culture protector, Ron Moten. Ron Moten, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, my hardworking sister? <laughs> <laughs> doing great. Um, good. Every, every day is a good day that I get to talk to you. So thank you again for making time. Appreciate thanks, you. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, I mean, we have so much to talk about, Ron. I mean, you've been on the air with us before, but it's been a, a little while. I was looking, it's been uh, almost a year, actually more than a year since you were on the show and, and you've been busy as ever. Um, but I want to start, I never like to take for granted that people know your backstory, you know, the backstory of my guests. So please, if you wouldn't mind, for those who don't know Ron Moten, uh, share a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a fifth generation Washingtonian. I grew up in uptown Washington, D.C., uh, where I lived for, I say, a good half of my life, and I've been on the south side for the other half of my life. So I, I, I have, you know, a perspective of both both sides of the city. Um, grew up with the Roosevelt Senior High School, school Alice Dill Middle School, West Elementary School, Francis Middle School. Um, received my high school diploma at Allawood FCI uh, Federal Institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, Went to college while I was there, uh, came home, uh, got with a uh, brother, Almalie Furrican, and my friends, Roosevelt Jackson and Eric Tapp, up at C5 on Broke the Smoke the Brothers and Sisters, where I started, you know, doing my work in the community, which was free for nine years, by the way. Um, a lot of people come home and get money right away. I came home and 
hit the ground running, just trying to do something for my people. Um, became a big promoter in the city, Red Door Entertainment, while I was learning how to be a social activist, you know, um, fighting for equity, equality, and preserving our culture in our city. And I did that for nine years. Eventually started the Pizza Holics. Um, went from the Pizza Holics, uh, checking enterprises, Don't Mute DC. Uh, there's just so many things. Like sometimes I can't remember all the stuff I've done. <laughs> I just thank God for giving me the spirit and the energy, and and the God to do things that sometimes I don't even know how I do it. Uh, with the great people who've always helped me, especially a lot of the women, going back to my grandmother who has always had my back when nobody else did. So, mm. you know, my my grandmother, my ancestors, the people I studied under uh, while I was doing the work in Alabama, Mississippi, and Atlanta, who worked with Martin Luther King, Amelia Borden-Robinson, Annie Lee Cooper, Reverend James Bell, Reverend Boone, Reverend Orange. These were all freedom fighters who I learned so much from. And I also knew the pain that I would encounter in trying to help my people. Mm. So, I mean, fast forward, here I'm, I am today, with my imperfect self, uh, just trying to do all the great things I could do in this world. And you have a well of energy that I, I mean, it's something to witness, uh, Ron. I, I don't, I mean, I guess you get it from that, the, that inspiration that you just spoke of, your upbringing, all of the people around you who, you know, were also fighting um, for, for the betterment of their, their community, their families. Uh, but it is, uh, I, I, it's a sight to be seen, you know, to see you in action. It's a beautiful thing. Right. So you, you really right. are, you really do have a gift, Ron. Right. Um, so, you know, we have so many things to talk about. Um, I do want to just start, though, with some of your most recent actions around Stop the Move, because that was one of the things that was, you know, uh, really heating up. And um, I wanted to make sure we brought to the airwaves. So, so give us a little bit of background, because this has to do with, the uh, monumental sports and entertainment that had made this announcement that they were going to leave the city, right? Move some of the teams out of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, what mm -hmm. caused you to take action on this issue? Well, to be honest with you, downtown had something to do with it, but it was more about what's happening in Southeast. Mm -hmm. You know, we our city spent $65 million to build an arena in Southeast in which monumental productions had agreement that they would bring the Mystics over here, the G League team, and the Wizards would practice over here, which brought a lot of hope and promise. When I say hope and promise, you know, sometimes you need an anchor business. You need to bring something that will make people think, okay, this is worthy of building around. So we have affordable housing in that same area. We have uh, Whitman Walker there now. We have Sycamore and Oak there now. We had a rise demonstration center there now. So it's almost like a community within one, just like where I'm at in Anacostia, in which black people still have something to do with. Like, you know, when you think about Union Market, Navy Yard, these are all great places, but it doesn't have any soul. That's right. The two places that I'm talking about right now, they have soul, and we still have something to do with it, right? So we were able to bring this team there, but have some sense of control Right. And say so what goes on there, which is unreal. So you have 13 black businesses in Sycamore, no, five black businesses inside the arena. You have all these people who get second sources of income. Right. Who work in all these establishments, games, events, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. And you still have a sense of black ownership and development that's being planned where we still at the table. Just like down here in Anacostia, you have 104 black businesses here. Right. As we fight to get more people to own their property like we do. Right. So when they say they're going to leave after we spent sixty five million dollars, after you did these press conferences and making all these promises. I just don't take that too lightly. Right. right? And then you, you, you lie and you say the reason why you leaving is because you've outgrown arena when the damn games are only halfway filled. Right. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. let this guy get on TV, tell these lies and not call him what he is. Right. When the truth of the matter is that JBG, which brought, got the property to do the Amazon deal, Amazon walked away. They stuck with all this, this property. Mm -hmm. mm. Tell the owners, from what I see and observe, there's some type of connection there, along with Yunkin. And we're throwing a Hail Mary pass to friends and say, let's bail our friends out. 
Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if you look at what's going on with JBG, their projects at Navy Yard and other places are not doing that well. If you take aside all the the, the commercial, commercials doing well, but the far as the the rentals and the apartments is not they not their numbers not adding up, right? Mm. So mm. to me, this is like the hell what you did for us, DC. I'm going to help my friend out, and we're going to go stump our foots on the necks of the people in Alexandria who telling us that we don't want this bottleneck traffic out here because there's no way that we had the infrastructure to deal with this, right? And some people say, well, Mo, well, why are you, wor why are you worried about this or that? Well, this can be done the right way. When mm -hmm. A. Poland built the MCI Center, he spent his money and worked with the city to do this. And it worked mm -hmm. out for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is when you have a greedy owner mm. who doesn't care about nothing but money, right. this is what happens. All right? you, the Washington Capitals, they win the Stanley Cup. The coach comes and asks for a, a raise, 300000 for what I understand. Mm. And then you fire. They haven't won nothing since. That's mm. what you're dealing with. Mm. Right? But, I mean, it's interesting to me because, we you know, we have – uh, a few different um, stadiums and arenas in the city where the city has put a lot of public money, you know, the baseball stadium, the Audi field. Now, of course, the, there's a push to create a, a football stadium at RFK. And, and from my observation, it seems like these uh, sports owners are, you know, always sort of, uh, you know, trying to get the cities to compete with each other. And, you know, kind of extorting the cities to give them more. And it was interesting because as soon as they made this announcement, the mayor was offering them 500 million. I don't know where that came from. 500 million to stay. But like you mentioned, the greed factor. I understand that there's a two billion dollar plan on the table for this entertainment district in Alexandria that would include restaurants and housing and all of that. So it's like the sports team now getting into the development arena and really being part of this massive, you know, development project. And like you said, like, who cares about DC? You know, we already did, we already made our money on DC, right? And now, now we can walk around to the, to the next thing. But I do think we have to, you know, think critically about, okay, so then why is the city working so hard to get another you know, stadium, for instance, that- uh, well, well, I would say this, I, I wouldn't rush to judgment because I think some of the people who are part of this new team have some connection to our city. Mm. And then and then some of the people who are part of the team, like Magic Johnson, they've always thought about investing back into the people. Mm -hmm. So I was I, I think that there could be some negotiation where it's not just like a a straight all or nothing rape, rape in the city yeah. type situation. Because that's that's what these guys do. They rape us and then leave us. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I will wait and see how that, how that plays out. I do know that when, 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 there, when we had our, our football team, mm -hmm. they, they brought money to our city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They did bring money to our city and, and it gave us a sense of pride that we haven't had in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, these, these, yeah, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I think you're right that there's a way to do things that you make sure that it's going to benefit the people. Right. I mean, I don't know that much about sports. I know that there's one one football team in the nation that's what publicly owned. Right. And then I guess somehow they outruled that that's not allowed anymore. But but again, if you if you're pouring millions and millions into something where they can just up and leave, uh, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> Um, and, you know, a lot of people would say that also, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen the economy, you know, the sort of the reports that show there's some money that comes to the city. But you know, some does it does it equal does it equal the amount that we invest in, especially when some of the jobs are part time jobs or, you know, don't have well, high wages well, and well, things like that. Well, part of the problem with. So let me say this downtown. They do benefit from the arena. Mm -hmm. Not as much because of crime and other things that have pushed people from coming there to the degree that they used to come. But part of the problem with downtown is Taylor owns runs the arena and he's terrible. Hmm. They do a terrible job of running the arena. 
They don't attract acts. They don't attract nothing, right? So if the right people were managing the arena, they make more money off right. the Capitals games and the concerts than the bum wizards. The, the bum wizards are not bringing the restaurants nothing right now. Mm. It's the Capitals and whenever the concerts happen. That's where the money comes in, right? Yeah. If we get a winning team, it's a different story. But, I mean, these are C-league players they have on the Washington Wizards right now. I B-league, okay? So – have they responded to you at all, Ron, directly? Has Leonsis responded to so you? So, this people try to talk to me, but I want to talk to Taya. You know, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. a little guy. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. talk. Like, if you respect me, we can meet and talk. But he could, for some reason, couldn't meet with me. So, I don't want to meet with second in charge. I want to meet with the guy who's making the decisions. Mm. So, he didn't. So, we just, you know, we go to war. Mm. You know, I'm willing to sit down and talk with him anytime about why I think he should stay in the city and do my people right. Right. Because, you know, that's what it's all about. It's not about going back and forth and and it's about coming to a resolution. All we want to do is come to a resolution that benefits D.C., Maryland and Virginia. And that is to keep it as it is and build it up. Like I like I was telling people in Alexandria, we come out there and spend plenty of our money in Alexandria, Pentagon City, et cetera. Right. So don't let them play us against each other because nobody's going to win with the move if it happens. Yeah, he's going to do something that's going to compete against Alexandria. Then Alexandria's not going to make their numbers because no matter what happens, downtown is going to dump five hundred million dollars downtown. Hmm. It's coming. Yeah. So well, it saying, seems like this, that seems to be the mayor's number one priority right now is downtown. And I wonder, I wonder what your perspective is on that. You mentioned that um, one of the talking points around moving out of Chinatown is the crime. Now, crime is something that you have been involved in trying to resolve for decades now, tracking and understanding <clears throat> the real forces at play. So give us, from your perspective, what what is happening now? Like When you started Peaceaholics, you were um, intervening in some of the neighborhood disputes. You were able to reach some resolution. What, what has evolved? How has the crime evolved from that time to, to now? So it's so much. There's so many moving parts. Um, this one is hard for me because I know we don't have to be there. Some of it's policy. Some of it's politics. Some of it's corporate greed, like the, the makers of this game, Grand Theft Auto. Mm. I don't know if you remember when I wrote an update in 2006 in the Washington Post saying what this game was going to do to the mentality of yeah. our children. And right now, almost 20 years later, it's built up to a thing where we're doing Grand Theft Auto in real life. Right. Uh, The music, you know, you had the last, I say, 12 years of music that's basically been programming our young people about using drugs, smoking weed and guns. Right. And sex. That's it. Mm. Nothing's cool about anything that's uplifting our people, our community. They all being programmed. Then you have more broken households where they're not two parents working together. Then you have a school system in many cases that are failing our children. So you put all those things in the pot, right. and then you have people that came into our city after we had something that was working, destroyed it because of politics, and then you had legislators that came in and made people think that no matter what children do in our community, there shouldn't be any consequences. Now, when I say consequences, does that mean that you just lock people up? No. No. What I'm saying is if I know a young person just carjacked somebody, how do I release that young person in the community without doing an assessment, a thorough assessment, which you're not doing in 24 hours, to see why he carjacked somebody? Did he carjack because he had no food on the table? Did he carjack because he had a mental health? Did he do it because it's wannabe syndrome? Or is he just a badass child, mm-hmm. right? Once you do that assessment, then you can put something in place to ensure that the community is safe and that he's safe and we got him on the right track. Right. We had things like this in place where if a child committed a violent act and we had to fight the system on this, right. That he would have a case management one to five, not one to 25. So when we start talking about these households, as you know, you worked in different places Mm -hmm. where you like, I don't want a child don't want to go home. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that, that case management was like a surrogate parent that fill in that gap. Then he had a mentor. 
that took them place. We took them out of town. We, when the situations arose with them and other neighborhoods, we were there to mediate. You know what I'm saying? We did the curfew check to make sure they made their curfew. We made sure they went to school. We did all these things. And when you release somebody into that, then we have no problem with you releasing them. But these people, like, it was guys who I knew were killing people. Like, no, please don't release him right now. Let's keep working with him. They got this going on. And they, and they were just throwing them in the community. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, 12 years later, most of them are dead or, or locked up for murder, right? None of these people go see them anymore, right? None of these people are advocating for them, right? And now we have a culture of violence in our community. Mm. <laughs> it's a culture yeah. of violence. Yeah, yeah. The coolest guy on the block right now is the guy with the biggest gun, not mm. the smartest guy. Right, yeah. Young people steal cars right now. Half the time, they don't even steal them to get money. They'll steal a car just to ride on the other side of the city. It's cool. Let me ask you this, Ron, because a lot of, well, thank you for, for getting into those details of what you all were, the approach that you all were taking and and the and the and what has been taken away. I do have questions about, you know, so how much of that was within the city government agencies versus within Peaceaholics or other nonprofit organizations? And who whose decision was it to strip away? Because I, I agree with you. We have to see each individual as an individual and each person has to be evaluated, like you said, what type of intervention is needed. And I don't see that kind of approach taking place now. Was there a legislative? No, we had, we had a contract with the Department of Employment Services that did that. And I, mm-hmm. and, I, and I tell you this, you remember the South Capitol massacre? Yes. Mm-hmm. That was one of our boys that did that. And what happened was DYRS released him to the community before we even knew about it. Mm-hmm. When we got him, he already committed the, 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 the crime. I see. We found out about it, took them in, and turned them in. Mm. Mm. But but my point is, that's how serious this third-party monitoring right. and, and, and having some infrastructure in place for children who commit these type of crimes. It, so, so, and, so let me... and then the other thing I want to say this, too. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you go back to when we first started doing the work in 2002, there's some other things that happened. Mm-hmm. J-Rod got killed in Baloo. Remember that, the football player? Yes. After mm-hmm. he got killed in Baloo, that was the first attack on one of the last, well, the last attack on the relationship that youth and police had. Oh, so okay. in Baloo, they had the officer-friendly program to some effect still going on because the police ran the after-school program. They just had to put the children out to school. They loved it. They, they felt safe, and it was a positive relationship with the police and the youth in Southeast, Right. They got rid of that program after J-Rock and said, how do we make it safe? That was the start of taking youth programming out of schools and all the after-school programs start disappearing, right? Then, years later, we start having problems at the Go-Go's. They got rid of all the youth Go-Go's in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So now you see young people, Georgetown, U Street, A Street, Nassau. Why are these young people here? Well, do you ever sit back and think, when we came up, we had somewhere to go and be children? Mm-hmm. Right, so they took that away from them, never replaced that. Right, we used to do peace goals, we would take young people from rival neighborhoods, take them through a civil rights training, get them a VIP card, and we would get the government to pay for the go goals. And we brought children who were beefing together and never had one problem. Right, I love, that. So, I love peace goals, I love that, Ron. Yeah, so we, so we did things like that. So that was another thing, and mm-hmm. then of course, like I said, we did all of us, all of us fought against mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. But I tell people this all the time. Mass incarceration, when I was fighting for mass incarceration, the end mass incarceration, I was fighting against black people and people of color who were going to prison for long amounts of time or period for things that white people weren't going to prison for or doing any right, time. Right, right, right. I was not fighting for killers to come home. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was not fighting for people who carjack people eight times getting released back on the street. That wasn't what I was fighting for. So people who I call regressives, because progressives move things forward. Regressives, like that smiley face, but don't listen to nothing that we say. I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. Uh, FCC rules, you know that. 
Um, no, I appreciate it, Ron. And uh, let me just pause for one second to tell our listeners again, we're talking to Ron Moten, somebody who has dedicated his life to really being involved in the community, working to uplift, working to heal, working to, uh, you know, uh, really resolve a lot of the challenges through uh, peace building, through entrepreneurship, etc. He's doing a lot of important work that I want you to hear about. Um, we are in the winter pledge drive for WPFW, and we need this station to uplift voices like Ron's. Yes, you've seen him in some other media, but not on this type of uh, interview where uh, he's able to really dig in and, and spend um, ample time really telling his story and what he's witnessed over the years. So please do uh, dig into your pocket a little bit. I hope you're already a supporter of WPFW, but if not, consider becoming a sustaining member, a sustaining donor. You can give as little as $10 a month. You can do that um, by going online, WPFWFM.org. You can call 202-588-9739 or go to Cash App, dollar sign WPFW. And uh, our goal for this hour is $500 for taking action. Uh, if you're listening right now, you're enjoying this conversation. I hope you'll pitch in a little bit to help us reach our goal. Um, Ron, uh you know, the first time I ever heard of Peaceaholics was when you uh, did a protest. I saw it on the news when you did a protest at Best Buy uh, about the video games that you were just mentioning. So I, I think, you know, you're right. You saw something coming and you're seeing the, the outcome of it. And I wonder, though, the other thing that's taken place during this time is the, you know, uh, rapid gentrification of the city, the displacement of tens of thousands of black residents. Do you also feel that this that young people today may feel that their city doesn't love them, that their city doesn't want them anymore? Is that a factor at all in your mind? Oh, absolutely. I tell people all the time I could dump a million guns on the street. But if I change people's mentalities and give them something to live for, I ain't got to worry about guns. Mm -hmm. So that has a lot to do with it. But I also think it goes back to the households. Mm -hmm. um, Mothers and fathers are played against each other for this TANF and this, 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 mm -hmm. all this stuff with the government. Um, you know, you might not agree with me on this. I totally agree that I don't think that $40 a month is helping nobody mm -hmm. for six months. I think that's just some dog and pony BS to make people think you're doing something for them. I'd rather take $26 million and help some people permanently get off of TANF than to keep on playing these games. And until we fix that system where people are not scared to jump off the cliff and try because they don't want to go all the way back to ground zero or we don't push people who just got too complacent and don't want to do nothing. Right. Until mm -hmm. we fix that, then we keep on we keep on producing generations of people who depend on the government. Right. Yeah. I've had times where I needed the government. I had times. Well, I had to go back home and sleep on my mother's couch. But by no means was that going to be a long time. You, you feel when that stuff happened with Peace Holics, I lost everything. I needed help, right? There were some people that helped me. So anybody that acts like they never going to need a hand up, they just don't know the real world. Most of us do, right? right. Where we come from. So I'm not one of those people who don't think like that. I'm just saying that we got to give people the, the, the hand up to get some out of here. We got to give young people the opportunity to take all these great skills that they have in stealing cars and use it to stop people from stealing cars or to use it to be innovators that they are and use it the right way. Just think about it when we came up. Right now, they get more attention on social media for doing crazy things, right? But you can go back 15 years, 20 years ago, you had fashion shows every week. You had talent shows. You had spelling bees. You had... For all the teams on on sports, like you had so much going on, and they were getting attention for it, right? Right now, they get attention for doing all the wrong things. It's up to us to create these platforms for them to get attention. But I, I, I'm gonna go back to this: there has to be some accountability. There has to be accountability for parents. Like we can't keep on blaming everything on everybody. It just boils my blood. I do a job readiness program. And I hate to tell you this. If I don't screen the program, out of 25 people, only eight going to want to go to work. Because that's the way the system is set up. They are taught to go from program to program to program. And we're going to keep it real. That's the mentality. Well, do you think that there's also 
a mental health kind of component there in terms of hopelessness or depression or, you know, something that, um, because I, I think you do have to be driven, right, to overcome. It's not like it's easy to do an uh, entrepreneurship program or do a job readiness program and then just get into a job that's going to pay you well, right? Like you're going to have to be driven to do that. You're going to have to find that fortitude within yourself. And if you're somebody who's struggling with depression, let's say, and I, I say that, you know, because um, we also had a conversation and I heard you also on one of your lives talking about marijuana, right? And the role that marijuana is playing possibly as a barrier to young people being able to, <laughs> to, you know, to, to really be successful in some of these programs. And I know, you know, from some of my own experience and the, just the people that I know, like marijuana contributes to depression. If you're a depressed person already, you're trying to struggle, you know, to, to be driven and to find, find that motivation and you're smoking weed all day. That's not going to help you. I don't know. What is your take on, on the mental well, health component? Yeah. Once again, people got to get my book. Yes. Don't be, I talk about all this and all my op-eds. I wrote an op-ed when David Grosso, who actually left D.C. government, became a lobbyist after he did his legislation. Black person would have did that, created legislation, went and cashed in. It's been a whole big thing about it. But that's a whole nother story. But I, I asked him not to rush this bill because it has to have an education component in it for young people. I knew what was going to happen. Right. What happened? You rushed the bill. Most young people didn't know or adults that you can't smoke it in public. Mm -hmm. So if you smoke it in public and I want to get you for something else, all I got to do is wait for you to light up a joint of weed. I go search your car, get you on the block. So after the bill passed, more it was supposed to be to stop black people from going to prison. More black people were locked up after the bill passed than before. But you didn't hear none of these advocates talking about it after they got their little money. For their marijuana, which it was all about from the beginning. It was never about keeping black people out of jail. It was about your regressives passing the bill so they can make money off of black people. Okay? That's what that was about. Okay? Then you go get a job and you can't get the job because you can't pass a urine test. So they didn't change the policy with that before they passed the bill, right? So all these people go apply for a job. You got them hooked on marijuana and now they can't get a job because they sprung out. Right. So that, that's the issue. Then some people went from marijuana to Percocets to this to that. And the last thing I would say, which was my concern, marijuana is an expensive drug. It's highly addictive. All right. It's 40 percent TACs in Jamaica. Anything you sell over 13 percent, you get locked up for TAC levels. Right. It's highly addictive. They get hooked on it. And when they can't afford it, what do they do to get it? They commit crimes, just like what people do with any other drug. So we're not having these conversations. But these are the laws that these regressives rushed in my community, and now the community is paying the price. Then when you talk about the programs and people mental health, I agree. But let me say this. D.C. has more programs than anywhere in the country. Everybody envies us. But are they effective? So I mean, so are they effective? effective? Whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But we're putting more money out than yeah. anywhere. And you got places that have not a tenth of the programs that we have and crime is going down. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I know there are some good programs out here, but I know when people are taught that I ain't got to do nothing, somebody going to take care. I know people who told me, look, I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who ain't come from the hood. Might have had a child or whatever, got on these social programs and had to fight their mentality themselves to get off of it. So this ain't got nothing to do with always rich or poor. It's just easy to get sucked into this system. This yeah. ain't always got to do with how much money you make or if you necessarily was born and buried farms all the time. Sometimes a system is just set up for you to fail, and we have to realize that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about go-go uh, -go music and culture, because I want to know from your perspective, is your your work to preserve and uplift go-go music connected to these other issues that you're talking about? How is it connected? You know, how is it connected oh. to entrepreneurship, to um, crime prevention, you know, to, to yeah, uplifting absolutely. people? First of all, let's say this. When we had all them go-go's and all the bands and stuff, it kept people out of the street. Big G and everybody tell you, go, go save their life. Bugs tell you, go, go save his life, right? 
So music and culture, whether it's music, arts, or whatever, it saves lives and builds people up, right? The creative economy is one of the ways that people of color have always survived, right? And loved each other, right? So one of the things about music, we have to understand that's our superpower. Mm. One of the main exhibits in the museum goes back to Africa, and it tells our journey with the music and the voice was our the first two forms of communication, going through the Caribbeans, going through Central America, and then coming to D.C., which is our journey, right? Our music, our food, our, our experiences, our trials and tribulations. And it's telling how with music, that spiritual aspect of it, when it goes to the seven chakras, how it empowers us to fight back, how it kept us alive when we were singing on those slave ships during the transatlantic slave journey, right? Horrific that nobody wants to talk about, right? And it tells their journey and how powerful it is and how why we got to preserve it, right? And the thing about go-go music that makes it so unique, it's one of the only forms of music music left in the world that has not been colonized. Mm. So we still have control. That's over. true. That's, that's why, true. That's why mm. we're able to uh, fight when we fought the UMC to keep the money in the budget for the hospital, when we fought the Metro PCS store, when we work with the youth at, at Banneker Senior High School to fight for what they wanted with the new school. Like, we, when we fought for the halfway house, like, we fought and used the social power of music. But guess what? I learned this from my ancestors. When I went down Alabama, Mississippi, I realized from my ancestors that the DJs did the same thing. The mm -hmm. DJs were the ones... When the children's mosque, because most people don't know that the children in the segregation, not the adults, they were organizing the children with, with different codes on the radio. Shelly the Playboy and all the other DJs were, were organizing the children with Bevel and King and <coughs> Amelia and all the little foot soldiers. So music going all the way back to Africa when they were playing certain beats and stuff to get messages out or even putting maps in the cornrows of our women's hair to how they skate. All these things were happening through our culture wow. and music. So you just came back from Cuba, right? I want to hear a little <laughs> bit. Was that a visit connected to your work around Gogo? And 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 tell what yeah, like absolutely. what are your reflections coming back from Cuba? Oh my God, it was one of the, the the best experiences I ever had in my life. First of all, it's always good to see people do something with nothing. I mean, they've been under embargo for so long, and man. The cars over there that these people rebuilt and you ride around and the food is delicious. With all they going through, how they love you and they, they're so nice and and the, and the culture and the art world is just magnificent. So this it was so funny. We the future band was doing a class teaching them how to play go go, and the young lady I forgot her name, but she's a, a Grammy award winning percussionist. So. It always this thing when some people who play from the Latino community, they're just like, y'all playing wrong. Y'all play with y'all cup. We play with our fingertips, right? So it's like, okay, that's how y'all play. That's how we play. Yeah. So she was like, oh, you, I see you play like this. So she went up there and started playing the go-go the way we play. And it was like an exchange. And it was so the vibe and the people were jumping up and down. And then they loved the bounce beat even more because, you know, they play the roller times out there, you know? So... <laughs> It, it was just amazing, like from the conversations to the four performances and all the different venues. And they want us to come back and do a go-go festival out there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. I have noticed that um, there's been a couple initiatives where some of the uh, DC-based go-go bands have traveled to Ghana, Africa, I believe. Yeah, a couple yeah. places. I think that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. What's your vision? What's your hope for how that type of uh, exchange will evolve? You know, what do you hope? Well, I want to work with the Goba exchange and other people to keep on connecting black and brown people throughout the world through music, arts, and culture so we can empower, uplift each other, and love each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody loved it. Black, white. It was like a music is the only thing that can bring people together right now. Mm -hmm. Music mm -hmm. brings people together who normally can't come together. That's and then in, in the midst of that, you had to get your messaging and the spirituality component in, 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 into that. Like, we don't do no events without a conversation. Everything that we do at the museum or Don't Mute DC, we always have a conversation with it. We try to make sure we're educating people on something or bringing people together around something. 
I'm going to pause one more time to remind the listeners we're, we're talking to Ron Moten. We're having a great conversation. I hope you're enjoying it. And I uh, hope you're contributing to WPFW during the winter pledge drive. Any amount that you can give goes a long way because this is a mostly volunteer driven uh, station. You have a few staff there have the expense of having the, the, the actual station office with the elect of the electricity bill, I think is one of the highest things um, that that the on the on the budget for WPFW. So help keep this institution going 47 years so far. Uh, we've lost a lot of black and brown spaces in D.C. We cannot afford to lose WPFW. So do anything that you can um, help us reach our goal this hour. Five hundred dollars. You can go through cash app dollar sign WPFW. You can go online to WPFWFM.org or call 202-588-9739. Um, and Ron, I want to hear a little more about the GoGo Museum. I, I think you've, you've, you're, you're still in development, right? But you've got a few pieces that are already uh, on the road. You've got a, a mobile piece. Tell us, a, tell us about the, the full vision and where you are with it. So we have the mobile museum that we, um, we've built. Um, thank God for donors and, and people of that nature. Um, it has a mobile hydraulic stage on the rooftop. It has exhibits on the inside and the beautiful pictures of legends and quotes and, 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 and verbiage from GoGo on the outside. And we're in here right now. My construction team is in here now. Uh, starting the construction on the physical museum, which will be coming uh, late spring, early summer. Um, uh, it's an inside-outside venue, performance spaces inside-outside, digital interactive screens, uh, recording studio for youth to get into mm -hmm. GoGo. I mean, it's just it's going to be amazing. We raise the money too. We actually doing a GoGo Honors Gala um, this uh, on the 18th mm -hmm. of, of, of this month. Uh, you can go to uh, the GoGoMuseumCafe.com for more information on that. So, I mean, we're doing a lot. It's a lot. Uh, of course, we always do more with nothing. You know, we take mm -hmm. a little bit to make it That's a lot right. happen. Yeah. But when people walk in here, it's going to blow their mind. We also have Chef Angie, who's a, a sister that's mixed with Latino and African-American. And she's doing a menu that, you know, goes from African dish, Caribbean, Latino, and, of course, our mumbo, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's going to tell the journey of our food. So yep. everything here is going to be like an education a piece. Um, and, and, and it's going to be a footprint for Southeast. We're also doing a go-go walk of fame mm. that we're starting. So it's, it's a lot happening. I don't know how we do it. We do it. I just believe uh, people think I'm crazy because I just push. Yeah. I th you're, I a force of, you're a force of nature. Cool. Yeah. But let me ask you this, Ron. I noticed, you know, on Instagram, I follow some different accounts and notice there's a lot of rappers, a lot of young rappers out of D.C. Is there young go-go musicians? I'm not seeing that as much. Maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. No, you're right. Uh, uh, and that's one of the most important factors about this museum. Uh, Anwan Big D, Big G Glover is our music director. And I don't know if you saw the event that we did at the Kennedy Center on Saturday. And you saw that young lady, Jata Freeman, get up there and perform. She's only 22 mm -hmm. years old, a Howard University studio, a Howard University student. And we brought her in the go-go uh, with the Don't Mute Us song we did four years ago. And she played in church with Sugar Bear before that. Mm -hmm. um, so she's a rising star. Uh, mm -hmm. TJ, who got up on the Congos with Backyard, he's in high school. Him and his mm -hmm. brother they got their own little band. So we're in the process of creating that vibe again. But the problem is not that the young people don't want to get into it. Like the young people from Duke Ellington said, they just need the opportunity and the platform and support. Right. So we took away the go-go. Yeah. If you take away from them having the experience. Why would they want to be in a go-go band? We did yeah. that. So we bring well, that back. Go-go was vilified so much. I mean, I just remember the, you know, seeing on the news reports, and I'm talking, you know, in the in the 90s, right, where yeah. they wouldn't have any kind of story just trying to make the go-go seem like it was the bad thing. It was the bad force. It was criminalized. It was criminalized. You can have mm -hmm. a shooting happen at a go-go. And I'll never forget this. And then we might have five people killed in one month on clubs in K Street that was playing hip-hop. Mm. But the people who were going there were from affluent families. Yeah. So it never made the news. 
But wherever somehow where go go with lower income people sometimes because a lot of people were in suits and Wilson building they went to go go's too government right. officials. But we were always criminalized. Yeah. And that's by design because like I said, go go is the mm -hmm. only music, one of the few that hasn't been colonized. So if you can't control some, what you do, destroy it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's all that was. So we have a, a little we have got about nine minutes left and I want to just talk a little politics with you. Um, you know, you have run for city council in the past. I, I haven't seen you throw your name in there this time around. So what is that? What, what does that mean, Ron? Are you are, have you decided that that's not the path you want to try for again? Or is that nah, maybe, never say never? I'm, or what's 54, I'm 54 years old and I feel like it takes a special person to be a, a politician. First of all, I'm always tell the truth. Right. Um, that's number one. Number two, you have no privacy. True. I like to live a life. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I, it's like, it's a double standard in politics. Mm -hmm. I, I won't be allowed to have 99 counts. I can't, I can't do nothing wrong. I can't make one mistake. Yeah. Right. And I think I'm more of a kingmaker on the outside and, and, and issue, you know, maker and policy maker. Yeah. And then push it through the council versus being on the council. So yeah. I think some of us do our people better by staying on the outside. But I do think we have to shape and mold a new breed of politicians because a lot of these people from D.C. to Maryland, they've been brought and sold. And a lot of them follow national policies that do not benefit our people. All right. Mm -hmm. And you have to be strong to fight back. But you also have to be savvy. Like, mm -hmm. if you can talk about all the issues, but not able to push policy to address them, you're just as ineffective as the people who don't, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's a certain savviness with being a politician. And everybody doesn't have that skill set. Right. And you have to have the best team. And I think I've seen that be the downfall of some people as well. Because one individual, you know, is not going to be able to do everything themselves. But if you don't have a good team... So I haven't seen you throw your support behind anybody. Is that something that uh, is in the works? Are you are you going to be involved as a which race? Which well, race? any of them, but I think Ward Seven is the one that's the widest open, right? And and Ward Eight, of course, is up this year as well. Um, but is there any that you're throwing support behind, or is that to be to be decided? I'm looking. Mm -hmm. I feel like in Ward Seven, you have some good candidates, so it can go in a couple of directions and we still might be all right, mm -hmm. but I might get involved with that at some point. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Ward 8 race is too many people in the race. So Trayon will win unless some people get out and one person goes toe to toe. Mm -hmm. um, so that's already a done deal unless that happens. So I learned with politics, you don't have to put input in everything. Right. <laughs> I, I, yes. I think the, 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 the thing is making sure that you have, um, a relationship with everybody who's going to win. So no matter who wins, they're addressing your agenda. Mm -hmm. So I might throw my support behind somebody, but I don't have to. Right. Because if somebody is against my agenda, when I ask about it, then they know I'm against them. But if everybody's for my agenda, you know, but and I, I, mean, I can see myself maybe in War 7 getting behind somebody mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and War 8. Is it important to you to, that the uh, the elected, the folks to be elected are from D.C., born and raised? <laughs> I think it's important now mm -hmm. because too many people on our council are not from this city mm -hmm. and they're clueless. Mm -hmm. That's how we got this crime problem. Mm -hmm. A lot of people there who elected don't understand nothing. That's how we got all these bike lanes. People from outside of our city. Well, I think the mayor um, who's from the city kind of helped facilitate that. Oh, no, 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 The pressure on the mayor may have come from No, 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 no. Let's be clear. This is your progressive people who want a council, who pushed this, whatever's called net zero, whatever's called bike lane policy, and they are running DDAC. Let's be clear on that, all right? They're the ones who put this in place where... All of us are paying all this money for tickets, and all of it goes to bike lanes. That Ron, money for I, tickets I'm in agreement should be going in our communities. It should be going to where we wanted to go, not to some bike lanes where less than 1% of the population is riding in. Yeah. Right? They just took three parking spaces from in front of my building on MLK. 
they taking parking spaces from everywhere. People yep. can't park. And y'all wonder why people going outside the city? Y'all push the money outside the city with this dumb stuff that comes from people who do not live in our city, who do not talk to us, and they push this garbage down our throats. And not that there shouldn't be bike lanes, but there should not be just a, a push that is- Conversation, a talk to us. Right. And you have to consider everybody's needs. We had this uh, similar issue over in Ivy City where, you know, the bike lane is right in front of a disabled woman's house. The the metro access can no longer pick her up like in front of the school. The parents can no longer, you know, pull over they to the same drop thing off the, the kids. Child school on Bennett Road. What's it? Um, mm -hmm. Low Pierce, whatever the child school right there. The, the parents can't pick the children up because they put bike lanes in front of the school. Where do they do that at? But they Ron, wouldn't do that on Wisconsin Avenue. But Ron, don't you think that's the office of planning <clears throat> under the mayor that is falling down on its response because it's a politically motivated thing now? Because yes, there is a bike again. lobby. Yes. I'm gonna tell you this again. Okay. It's a bike lobby. Yes. Charles Allen, Brandon Doe, it was Alyssa Silverman. All those people pushed this. And they control this. Who committee is it under? Well, now it's under Allen. Yeah. Okay. Environment. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Back to what I was saying. <laughs> but this has been going on for a while, so we we gotta have we're gonna have to have a to be continued because I think this this is a very important uh, conversation around where are the priorities coming from, and this is being debated right now. Uh, some people are saying that you know the opposition to the crime bill that's being uh, voted on today is just outsiders who don't know anything who've been pushing all these other policies. I don't think any of it is that simplified. I think there are people who come from outside and push things, but absolutely, I've seen it happen time I and time again. I told everybody this was going to happen. I told everybody the feds was going, if we didn't address the crime ourselves, if mm -hmm. we didn't find some way to at least let police be police, somebody else going to come and police our community. What's, what's happening now? The FBI's here now, and now they're going to start, they're already doing it, hitting youngest with the RICO Act. So instead mm -hmm. of sitting the younger down for six months and getting them on the right path, path, they let them build up these cases. They turn 18. They go back to all those juvenile cases and hit them with the RICO Act. We wow. could have stopped this. Nobody wanted to listen to Ronald Moton. I told them if we don't address it, if we don't start holding some people accountable, now everybody's feeling it. Ain't just black people feeling it now, right? People right. are going to be held accountable and they're going to shut it down. And y'all know this. Well, let me just say this, Ron. A lot of what you have said in the past has has proven true. So I'm listening. I'm listening to what you're saying. And I'm, I'm glad you're here on the airwaves with us. I think we don't always have to agree, but I, I certainly respect your well, perspective. I respect your guys. history. I respect your, your history. I respect the, the, the work that you've done and, and you every single day you do. Um, so I want to thank you again for taking some time out for us. I want to have you back on a regular uh, basis because I think you're an important person to to talk to and to listen to here in the city. Um, tell the listeners how to follow you is, uh, and just sort of get updates on what you're up to. Okay, and I, and I appreciate what you do as well. Thank and you. my um, Instagram is Ronald Moten, or you can follow me on Don't Mute DC, Ronald, R-O-N-A-L-D-M-O-T-E-N, uh, don'tmutedc.com is for the activist side and for the museum side is Ronald, I'm sorry, is the gogomuseumcafe.com. And then once again, I want to thank everybody who has supported me and my team and everything we've done. Actually, forgive me for any mistakes I ever made because I forgive you for any that you ever made. And I believe that friction makes diamonds as long as our hearts are in the right place. And your heart is in the right place. And I appreciate all that you do and all that your team does and all that the radio station and WPFW radio does for our people. Peace and love. Peace and love, Ronald Moten. Thank you again for joining us today on Taking Action. Thanks to the listeners. Please continue to support WPFW in the pledge drive. Uh, again, you can go to WPFWFM.org or call 202-588-9739. Use Cash App, a dollar sign WPFW. We didn't hit our goal today, so we're going to we're gonna have to do a little, little more work to get there. But thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for COVID, race, and democracy. But first, the news.
big announcement. Home Rule Music Festival in partnership with WPFW presents an electrifying evening of music, culture, and community. Join us on Friday, February 23rd at Songbird Music House for the Home Rule Music Festival launch party and concert. Doors open at 7 p.m. Event starts at 8 p.m. Songbird is located at 540 Penn Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C. Special performances by the legendary Plunky from Oneness of Juju and the dynamic Brandon Woody's Up Indu. Plus, don't miss the exclusive screening of the captivating Black Fire documentary. Tickets are available at songbirddc.com. That's S-O-N-G-B-Y-R-D-D-C.com. CD Enterprises presents Grammy Award-winning jazz singer and songwriter Gregory Porter live in concert February 25th at the theater at MGM National Harbor. Tickets are available now at MGMNationalHarbor.com. Don't miss this generation's most influential jazz sensation, Gregory Porter, live. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. Good afternoon. For WPFW Washington and WBAI New York, I'm Darnia Samuels. Here are some headlines for this hour. Today, three judges shot down Donald Trump's claims that he is immune from prosecution for trying to overturn the 2020 election results. Judges J. Michelle Childs, Florence Penn, and Karen LaCraft Henderson sharply criticized his actions. Their ruling stated, in part, and I quote, Former President Trump's alleged efforts to remain in power despite losing the 2020 election were, if proven, an unprecedented assault on the structure of our government. He allegedly injected himself into a process in which the president has no role, the counting and certifying of the Electoral College votes, thereby undermining constitutionally established procedures and the will of the Congress, end quote. Therefore, Donald Trump can go to trial on charges that he plotted to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Since 1961, Amnesty International USA has fought to protect human rights as the world's largest grassroots human rights organization. The organization has released a new report about the Israel-Hamas war, saying that Israeli forces have displayed a, quote, chilling disregard for Palestinian lives. They detail that the army has been carrying out unlawful killings of civilians in the occupied territory of West Bank, which should be investigated for possible war crimes. Amnesty International investigated four separate cases of violence, including an Israeli raid on a refugee camp that began on October 19th and went on for at least 30 hours as Israeli forces stormed dozens of homes, cut off water and electricity to the refugee camp, destroyed infrastructure with bulldozers, and blocked two ambulances from reaching injured residents. At least 13 people, including six children, were killed in that raid. The United Nations reports that since October 7th, at least 360 people have been killed by Israeli forces in the West Bank, including 94 children. To your local news, in New York City, The largest single-day bribery takedown in the history of the Department of Justice took place today. At least 70 employees of the New York City Housing Authority, or NYCHA, were arrested today in a federal corruption investigation. Officials say that from 2013 to 2023, dozens of current and former employees of NYCHA demanded $2 million in bribe money from contractors in exchange for giving out more than $13 million in work at NYCHA buildings. Contractors who failed to pay a kickback were cut out of work. Officials announced that superintendents accepting and extorting bribes for contractors had become business as usual occurring in almost 100 NYCHA buildings across all five boroughs, which is nearly one-third of all NYCHA buildings. NYCHA is the largest public housing authority in the country, receiving more than $1.5 billion in federal funding every year, 
and providing homes to one in 17 New Yorkers. To the D.C. area, could a casino be coming to another wealthy suburb of the nation's capital? Today, a Virginia Senate committee said no by rejecting a bill that would have allowed Fairfax County to hold a vote on building a casino and conference center in Tyson's Corner, a neighborhood that is currently home to high-end retail and office development. Though this committee vote effectively 